from Union Congregational Church in East Walpole, Massachusetts. This is Sermons by the Park. I'm Pastor Aaron Shepard, and it's summertime here in New England, which means it's time for folks to get some time away, maybe down on the Cape or up in Maine or New Hampshire. Here at Union, we are getting away. We've made the move outside to worship under the oaks and the pines and the hickory trees in our outdoor sanctuary just inside Bird Park next to our church building. You are, of course, invited. In fact, you are more than welcome if you're in the area to join us on Sunday mornings at 10.15 a.m. All we ask is that you bring your own chair, but we always keep a few extras on hand if you don't have one. And if you are away, you can worship with us from afar via live stream on Facebook at facebook.com slash churchbythepark. Our summer sermon series is called One Verse Wonders. These are messages drawn from the wisdom and inspiration of a single chosen verse of Scripture each Sunday. I'd encourage you not only to listen for the Word of God here, but to take each week's verse and maybe write it down and keep it in your pocket, or maybe memorize it so that you can call it to mind as you go about your day. You'd be amazed by how just a few words can open up a whole new world of possibilities. Here's this week's message. The first reading this morning is from John chapter 7, verses 32 through 38. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering about him, that is Jesus, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent temple police to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little bit longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will search for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go, that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will search for me and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? On the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. May God add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of this gospel. This morning we're continuing in uh, our occasional summer sermon series called One Verse Wonders. And so our one verse today, our scripture text today, comes from 1 John, that's the letter, uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. 
That's the verse. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Have you ever heard the word aptonym before? An aptonym is when someone has a name that basically befits what they do or who they are or what sort of situation they're in. So my favorite example of this is a man named Bert Tito Beveridge. Oh, Tito Beveridge, who was the founder of the Tito's Vodka Company. <laughs> Aptly named. There's another fellow, his name is Igor Judge. He was the Lord Chief Justice of England from 2008 to, to 2013. That's basically their Supreme Court uh, justice. He was a judge. There's Cecil and Prince Fielder, who were major league infielders. <laughs> and again, uh, one of my favorites is uh, Richard and Mildred Loving, who were the plaintiffs in the lawsuit Loving v. Virginia, which legalized interracial marriage throughout the United States in 1967. Again, an aptonym that they, they were called what they were doing. And this morning's scripture, that verse, is about our aptitude, that we are called children of God, because that is what we are. And this morning, I, I wonder, I want us to wonder together for a few moments, what does it mean to be a child of God? What does it mean together for us to be children of God? <laughs> well, it needs to be called something. It needs to have a label. That is for sure. But it is because God has called us that. Recall that it says that this is something the Father has given us. It's something that God has given to us. Not that we have earned, not that we have won. But God gives us a certain kind of love. The letter says, "What kind? see what kind of love God has given us. And the word that's used there is, is agape. It's a Greek word. Uh, it appears often in the New Testament as a way of describing how God loves us. For instance, one of the most famous passages that we'll often hear at weddings in 1 Corinthians 13 about what love is, the term for love there is not the one that we think of as romantic love, but this idea of agape love, that the kind of love God gives to us is patient, it's kind, it's not boastful, it endures, it sacrifices, it bears all things and believes all things, it is true and just. This is the same kind of love that John uses in the Gospel to describe how God loves the world. God so loves the world that God gave a son that the world may be redeemed. Again, this is the kind of love that God gives to us so that we may be called children of God, just as God called Jesus a beloved son. This agape love is something that we are blessed to receive. Anyone who hears those words and believes it and takes it into their hearts has received that love. But agape love is also something that we then do. Here in the church, one of the ways we express God's love, in fact, two of the ways we express God's love are through the tangible expressions of that love, which are the sacraments, the sacrament of baptism and the sacrament of communion. These are tangible expressions of that intangible notion of a God. 
course, baptism in water, as Jesus said, is, is about receiving the living water of God's love. Water is a lot like grace in that if it is contained in a container, over time it can grow stagnant. It can get sour, it can grow a smell, things can start to get funky in it. You don't contain water for long, but if you allow water to flow, if you let it live, then it provides life. But a mountain stream, a roaring ocean, full of life, that is how God's grace is when we allow it to flow, as opposed to keeping contained for ourselves. Of course, communion is another expression of grace, the way that bread sustains all of life, the way that the cup gives sweetness and joy to life. These are tangible signs and expressions of how God is with us, how we have received God's love. This was written in a letter by some unnamed apostle of of John or some follower of the writer of the Gospel of John to a church that was experiencing disunity. Importantly, the, the most important part of the letter is this affirmation that we are all children of God. Because even within the church, even within people who have been baptized under the same baptism or received the same communion, there is still sometimes a sense that God's grace is only for some and not for others. The church has always struggled with disunity and exclusivity, even from its earliest times. But the gospel has always called us to combat that, to meet disunity with love and grace. The Apostle Paul presents, I think, one solution to that problem in his letter to the Romans. He says that the church, within the church, they should outdo one another in showing honor. Paul believed in competition, competition in outdoing one another in showing honor. But what showing honor meant was being humble. It's ironically one of those things where you could say, the goal is to be the most humble. And how do you do that? Well, it doesn't maybe look like we normally think of outdoing one another, does it? Of course, Jesus exemplified this. Jesus was the most humble. Jesus is the one who emptied himself and took the form of a servant and a slave and was obedient even unto death. Even death on the cross. Paul said that in following this, one, one example he gives is, is to the Corinthian people, the Corinthian church. He says that when they receive communion, they should not jockey for the best position at the table. Rather, the competition should be who can sit farthest from the head of the table? Right? Who can be lifted up the most at that table? Humility, then, is the key to inclusivity. Not putting yourself before another, but being curious about others so that you can receive them with grace and celebrate and honor. That's how you overcome this problem of disunity, how you recognize that we are all children of God. Uh, Carlos Rodriguez, who's a founder of a Nonprofit organization in Puerto Rico puts it well. He says, if you hate someone because of your religion, you're doing it wrong. 
It brings me back to those words from Emerson about how within every circle there can always be another drawn wider around. Emerson is writing there about how the divinity of the world, the divinity of nature and experience can be experienced in its unendingness and its having no beginning and no end. That every time we try to draw a circle around and contain the divinity of the world, there's always another beyond it. Draw a circle around the world and then push beyond it, he says. Go deep and then go deeper. Again, the advice of Carlos Rodriguez in light of this is, when you have what you need, you should build a bigger table and not a higher fence. It's in, in the past, there was a practice around communion. It was called fencing the table. I was, I'm remembering it whenever we're in here because we have our own fence built in here. And I got the gate right over here. And I can put it up. And we can only allow in those who passed certain standards or parameters or put a little in the basket maybe on their way in. And that was often a practice, the fencing the table. Only those who were deemed worthy could receive the sacraments. And of course, if we follow the way of Christ, we know that the solution here is not to put a fence around the table, but to make the table bigger so that there's room for everyone. And one of the great promises of the United States as a, as a place, as a, as a people, as a culture, has always been that there was more than enough. That the table was big enough here. That anyone could come and make something of themselves here in this place. And that this was a, a part of the God-given goodness of this land. But there have also always been people more interested in building high fences in this country as well. We saw that a bit this week in the decisions of the Supreme Court. One of the undue efforts to address injustice. We saw this week when they decided that uh, discrimination on the basis of religious convictions should be allowed. And again, if you hate someone because of your religion, you're doing it wrong. But the state sanctions that policy now. It's only revealed itself to be an imperfect instrument of justice, which the state has always been. And we get no clearer sign of that than the cross, which is itself an emblem of state power. But of course, God was able to overcome the cross, draw the circle wider, and make the table bigger. And the church, too. The church has sometimes been on the right side of these issues, but of course there are plenty of Christians who claim that their convictions keep them from being more inclusive. The church has been an imperfect instrument of justice as well, and so we, too, need to draw the circle wider. And that doesn't always mean waiting for people to come to us. We have to go to them. And it also doesn't mean that we can't expect people to think and know that we are Christians who welcome and love and seek to outdo one another in honoring one another, unless we show them that. This isn't to say that the church or the state should be abandoned. 
Justice requires the kind of organization that these social institutions provide us. Martin Luther King said, power without love is reckless and abusive, but love without power is sentimental and anemic. Power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice, and justice at its best is power, correcting everything that stands against love. And that's true of the state, and that's true of the church, and that is true of anything that we allow ourselves to belong to, that we can create power and use power for good, the power that is given to us, that we should allow to flow through us. And I'll close with, with two parables of Jesus, which I think illustrate this best. The first is what not to do. It's the story of a, of a rich man who had a great harvest, who kept bringing in more and more and more until he had filled up his whole barn. And he said, you know what I need to do? I need to build some bigger barns so that I can continue to bring in and bring in more and more and more wealth for myself. And that very night, an angel came to him and said, tonight your life will be taken from you. What are all those barns going to be worth? The other parable Jesus told was about a king who threw a wedding feast, sent invitations to all the important people, all the power players in the region, invited them to come to the feast. But they all begged off. They all had something better to do or some other plans come up. And so they didn't show up. And so the king told the servants to go out into the streets and pick up any old person they could find. In fact, to seek out the poor and the marginalized, the hungry, all those folks, bring them to the table. And they would be the ones to enjoy the wedding feast. Jesus says this is what the kingdom of God is like. But it's almost more than that. Because the kingdom of God is like if all those rich and powerful people did show up, if they did come to the wedding, but then the king also invited all the hobos and the drug addicts and the criminals and the gays and the trans kids and the Catholics and the Muslims and anyone who was in the town, anyone within reach to come and enjoy the feast. Imagine how upset all those wealthy and powerful people would be to have to give up their seats to those others. Again, we must outdo one another in showing honor. This is what the kingdom of God is like, friends. This is what it means to be called children of God, to be given grace, to be given power, to be given love. So that we may draw the circle a little wider. That we may build the table a little longer. That is what it's like to love as God loves. Amen. Thank you for listening. I hope this week's message has blessed you and that you got something out of it that you can take with you all along life's journey, wherever that may take you. If you want to learn more about Union Congregational Church, our life and ministry together, you can visit churchbythepark.org. Our theme music is Victim and Victor 
by RKVC. Until next time, may God's grace and peace be with you.